This is Booting Up, where we talk to the best in tech about early careers. You'll learn what it takes to get your first job and rise the ranks of the tech world. Now onto the show with host, Rod Dannon. It's time for Booting Up. Welcome everyone and hope you're having a great evening. Tonight, we're gonna have a lot of fun. We're talking to someone that is a senior cloud advocate at Microsoft and graduated from Hackbright, which is a bootcamp back in 2017. So we're gonna dive into all of that, all of our history and there's gonna be a bunch of lessons. So get ready to learn. Uh, before we get into that, if it's your first time here tonight, make sure to subscribe. So just click the button below. Every single week we'll be here at the same time talking to someone that either graduated from bootcamp or went through some sort of self-taught route towards tech. And you're gonna learn something new from every single path that people have taken. So you don't wanna miss it, subscribe. And at the end, if you do, uh, like the video, like it. And if you have questions, write them in the live chat. We'll try to answer some in the middle, but we'll answer all of them at the end. So without further ado, let's bring on Chloe. Hello. <laughs> What's up, Chloe? Where, where are you calling in from? Calling in from Oakland, California. Oakland, you, got, you guys didn't get hit with a snowstorm, right? No snowstorm, but we did have a bunch of rain, very windy. I, this is like, I don't know if this is a little known fact or if this is public information. You certainly know if you live in the Bay Area, but they recently re-engineered the Golden Gate Bridge. And when the wind blows particularly hard, uh, it basically plays the Golden Gate Bridge like a harmonica. Like air passes through it. This was engineered so poorly. It's like a if you've seen devs on Netflix or Hulu, I guess it is, it sounds like the devs soundtrack and it's like, ooh. So it's been windy and the Golden Gate Bridge has been singing tunes to us and uh, it's, <laughs> you know, doing okay. Almost a year into quarantine, this is fine. <laughs> well, yeah, well, at least you get music and you know, there's definitely been much weirder stuff in the past year. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> so so um to take it from the top um i want to start you know pre pre camera and hear about theater so you were in theater for like six years like what was some of the stuff you were doing yeah well i basically had been in theater a majority of my life both of my parents came from the performing arts or artistic space so my mom was a costume designer graphic designer she did a lot of the t-shirt prints of the 80s and she met my dad who's a director playwright so they always said growing up she was born in a trunk which is true i grew up backstage behind the concession stand uh literally on set in the casting room um and it was a very unique uh childhood that was completely immersed in the arts um arts was always the arts were always a very big part of my life i should say um so uh yeah i always had my blinders on i think there was a hot second as maybe like a second grader i was like i want to be a senator because i learned what a senator was but um yeah. My exposure to computer science was very minimal. It was limited to that of, you know, my what my elementary school offered. And computers were around me, of course, because my dad taught at a university. But my whole existence was built around theater. I went to a performing arts high school eventually. I ended up majoring in theater in college. So uh, I really, I loved being on stage and I loved performing. And that's what I wanted to do. <laughs> All right. So, so you were doing that. Oh, in, in the Bay Area or you were somewhere else before? So I grew up in Sacramento, California. Oh, um, wow. And basically, you know, as a, as a kid, I 
having parents in the arts, I didn't have stage parents at all. I think if anything, they're like, okay, you can audition for these things. So I was always auditioning for things like The Sound of Music or Bye Bye Birdie, you know, teenage shows. Um, but I looked very young. So when I was a kid, when I was a teenager, I couldn't actually play a teenager because I looked like a kid, you know. So my parents would drive me around to different auditions and things like that. So I was always kind of either auditioning or performing or... I went to science camp a couple times, but a majority of the summers I was spending at theater camp, you know, in the Wizard of Oz or <laughs> always it's on stage in some it. way. And uh, yeah, and then ended up moving to the Bay Area for to get my degree at San Francisco State. So in I knew I wasn't a good dancer. I knew I was a good singer, actress. And I thought, okay, San Francisco has this really cool theater scene. Um, if I go to school there, maybe I can like work my way up in the theater community in San Francisco. And yeah, that's kind of where I set my sights. <laughs> that makes sense. Then, So then I guess you went into it and you were doing it, I guess, part-time in addition to whatever sort of day job along the way, right? Yeah. So it's interesting because at least for, for myself, no one had ever... I grew up around artists and performers my entire life, um, but no one really ever sat me down and said, you know, what what do you plan on doing with this degree? I think in my mind, I was like, oh, I'll go audition. Um, I didn't have my heart set on Broadway. I knew I wasn't that good of a dancer, but I thought, oh, I'll, I've seen many people make a living as a, or as a performer, I should say, but um, no one ever asked me, you know, what are you going to do? to support yourself because anybody who's been an artist full-time unless we're very lucky like <laughs> some people 0.1 percent <laughs> right right you really have to work your way up from the chorus as they say so um you know if you're not familiar with the theater arts world you got to audition a bunch um build a name up for yourself in the community it's not even necessarily about your talent sometimes it could be about do you fit the costume are they looking for a five foot two blonde girl with bright orange hair. I didn't have bright orange hair at the time. Um, for those maybe listening, if this is an audio medium, I have bright orange hair. <laughs> so I think what has been so different about, you know, having a career in tech versus a career in the arts is I always thought of my day job, my nine to five Monday through Friday that could support me while I did this theater thing nights and weekends. That was something to keep me afloat while I had my, my eye on the prize. So it was a really interesting, uh, switch for me as a creative minded person who, you know, kind of a don't quit your day job kind of thing, don't have a backup or else you'll go to your backup to think, okay, how do I leverage these skills? Like I've, I've done the theater thing. I've really enjoyed it and, and had some success in it and thought, can I apply this to something else? Is there something else that these skills are useful for? And, uh, I, I think I found it. I found one of them anyway. <laughs> So uh, yeah, I saw like you were like office manager, you did some sales, gosh, you were did, all over, right? I did, oh gosh, I'll, I, my first job ever was um, in college. I, I worked at the Disney store in retail. So I was a cast member at the Disney store. Um, I worked at J. Crew. I did honestly every job other than engineering that led me into tech. So I did retail for a while. I was in customer support at a video game company for two years. I was a recruiter. So I really saw all the other pieces of tech. I was an executive assistant, a personal assistant. I was a virtual assistant for a long time. I worked as a personal assistant to Ben Parr, who was um, at the time, I think he was the co-editor of Mashable. So I was in tech, but I was very adjacent. I didn't know what engineers did. I knew that they were very nice mostly men 
they came in around 11 and especially as an office manager, I was like, they eat the snacks. They're really nice. Um, but I think I just, that was a world that I did not have any exposure to. I didn't understand what they did. I, that was not in my vocabulary at all. So it was just out of sight, out of mind. And I knew it paid the bills at these startups that I worked at. I worked yeah. at Yelp and sales for a little bit. I did everything but for the longest time. <laughs> so what was like that thing that's, that hit you and you're like, all right, like it's time to go into the actual tech and build it? Yeah, it honestly, and this is why I'm so loud and proud about my path in particular. It was all by chance. Um, I was working as uh, an executive assistant office manager at the time for this company called Nuco, and the, basically they ran events. And um, I happened to attend an event at Google because I thought, oh, I'm going to go on the Google campus, see this talk. Um, and in <laughs> in theory, in my brain going, I want to see what the Google campus looks like. I've never been on a Go the Google campus before. Ended up being me attending a talk about how to get young women, specifically middle school, high school, um, more interested in programming. So it was just completely by chance that this was the topic. It could have been any talk on anything. And I'm sitting there and I'm listening to this talk and they're talking about, you know, adding characters to Nickelodeon and Disney Channel shows to like show more exposure to, to women that, that STEM is a, you know, and I'm sitting there going, gosh, I wish this was around when I was younger because I love tinkering with things i had never coded before in my life they were mentioning things like girls who code and i'm furiously looking it up on my phone going like oh this is for kids like i my ship is sailed that this this time has passed for me so i was very lucky and i understand the privilege in this that i had just started dating my boyfriend my, my partner still to this day and i lamented to him he were he works in tech he's an engineer himself and i said gosh i saw this talk today and it was so inspiring and I wish I had this when I was younger. And it literally took someone saying, you can still do it. And I didn't know anything about boot camps at the time. It was just kind of like, oh, okay, I guess I'll like try a class. Like it took someone just saying, you can do it for me to do it. And that's why I encourage everyone, like try it. You never know. This might be, I was in the right, literally right place at the right time. <laughs> You know, I, I feel like sometimes that you have to hear, like, I see sometimes like people saying, you know, like mushy gushy, like motivational stuff. And then I'm like, I'm like, yeah, like we know that. But oftentimes, like you, if you hit someone at the right moment, you actually could change your life. And honestly, at that point in time, I was doing theater. I had been doing it for, for a while. So I, I graduated um, from San Francisco State in 2011 mm -hmm. and I had a pretty successful regional community theater career it didn't pay the bills but i was happy with the success i was finding in it while working in these day jobs and i had never had a career before it was something that had never been on my mind no one had ever talked to me about it or invested time and like that was sort of one of the benefits of, of dating someone in the industry of course was like meeting yeah. other people understanding i had no idea that this whole world existed but to give you an idea at the time i was feeling really burned out on theater i really kind of got to where i wanted to get and honestly if someone if i had attended a yoga talk that day who knows maybe i would have become yoga instructor You're was, easily influenceable. there was something about that and if I was taking this call from my desk, I'm I'm in a different room right now. I have an action figure on my desk of Gadget from Chippendale Rescue Rangers because after that talk, I was reflecting and I was thinking, what female role models did I have like, like mm -hmm. growing up? What did I have anybody who looked like me or sounded like me in the industry that I could even look up to? And the only one that I could think of in pop culture was Gadget from Chippendale Rescue Rangers, and that's a chipmunk, right? It's not even yeah. a human woman. Yeah. So I 
I really took that to heart and I take that to heart with a lot of the content that I produce now and folks that I help bring into this industry because I think visibility is so important and I mm -hmm. wish I had seen anybody like me <laughs> doing this because I'm I love that I got to go to a boot camp and I've had a career change, but I wish I would have been here sooner. I wish that I yeah. had heard this talk sooner. I wish that I had computer science in my classroom. I wish a lot of things. I, I wouldn't change anything, but if I could go back in time, I'd be like, Chloe, learn to code <laughs> like in high school. But I, it, I didn't know. I had no idea. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's one of the points also of like this show is just like to show all these different personalities and people and you know different looks just to see like hey like anybody could kind of do this like it's not just one profile that can yeah and i truly believe you know i was talking earlier on a stream about this it doesn't have to be engineering there's so many yeah. things beyond engineering like sales engineering developer relations so many different paths that i think you know with boot camps of course we're here to help people get junior engineering roles but i love finding what people like talking to a person figuring out what their strengths are maybe they worked as an educator in the past or maybe they worked in finance and they can bring that into fintech i think there's a huge barrier to entry with vocabulary and just knowing how to translate those skills yeah, that's, that's really point. what's missing for a lot of people but it's doable <laughs> for anyone but it's hard work. It, I'll, I won't like. No matter what, yeah, of course. <laughs> but it's it's possible. I don't. I I think someone said to me recently, you go through eight different, an average of eight career changes nowadays in yeah. modern age, and who knows what I'll be doing in eight years? <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, you know, there's there's, there's going to be a, probably a thousand different jobs that even pop up in the next five years. But yeah, like you said, like once you know about tech, a lot of doors open. It's not just one role it's it's everything in tech and just knowing the lingo you can start conversating like i was probably i was telling people hey check out sales like if you're trying to make money and you could talk to people like you're make, you're gonna make probably more money in sales yeah and it's really i call it finding your gimmick because you really have to find especially as a junior non-traditional background candidate find what makes you special among all these other candidates for me it was you know i have this background in public speaking and marketing and presenting like being, that's why I go to a lot of stage managers that I used to work with in theater and go, you're a product manager, like come to tech, you do product management for a show, like, please yeah. come and join us. Because um, I think there's so many ways that people from the performing arts, from visual arts to design, um, there's so many amazing ways that you can contribute to tech without even being what we would consider technical, just transferring those skills in a different way. So I'm always here for... The, the transformation from one thing to another, because mm -hmm. I certainly didn't even know this was a field that existed until a couple of years ago. So I'm like opening the door and like, welcome, please come in. We need you. <laughs> so when you went to Hackbright, like, did you know that developer evangelist or advocate like even existed or? Oh gosh, I wish I had, because I think it would have given me a really different lens to look at the program through. Um, I was completely new to programming. I, I had I had been programming for a couple months leading up to it to prepare for Impressive. the program. But at the time, you could be pretty new to coding and, and do this boot camp. And I didn't really even know. I had my you know eye on the prize of being a junior dev, entry level, software engineer kind of role. Um, but it really wasn't until I on demo night where we were presenting our final projects. I 
realized looking around the room, you know, it was, we would present to all the recruiters who were coming to see what we had built and share it with our families and stuff. And I was so excited. Like, this is my bread and butter, right? Like, I love sharing things and talking about things on stage. And a lot of the other women were really nervous, which is totally valid. And um, I think for the first time in the program, I had such terrible imposter syndrome. I could go on for hours about how I just felt like I didn't belong. I had to Google what STEM was on the first day of my program because I I didn't know what that was. I mean, that wasn't part of my world at all. In the same way that if I mentioned Patty Lapone to a room full of software engineers, they'd be like, who's that? Uh, so I think it really took a, a toll on my mental health of like, I don't belong here. What am I doing here? And once I realized, oh, this is kind of a special talent that I bring into this industry, I can explain concepts, I can. So yeah. it really just took, a again, a question to uh, my boyfriend, who's also in a way was was my guide and my mentor into this industry, asking questions like that part of your job where you, you know, presented meetups and is that a job? And I, again, wouldn't have, if I didn't have access to the people in my life at the time and, you know, my friend circle was starting to change from theater to tech as I was doing this boot camp, it really yeah. took a lot of asking people out to coffee and kind of wondering what this developer relations thing was. I didn't really know, but once I learned about it, I went, that's the thing, like, that's what I want to do. And I think I would be good at that thing. And it, it ignited something that excited me a lot more than a traditional dev role. So yeah, it was kind of, again, just complete happenstance that I was dating a person who was involved in a community and knew how to build community. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's good you found that because like there's some people I, I talk to that they come, they come out of boot camp and they're like, yeah, like I don't love it, but like I need to like make money. Like I did the boot camp, like I'm, they feel kind of stuck, but yeah, like if, if you can talk to people like that's good, you know, go, go for it. Yeah, and there's so many different paths, like technical writing, people who write documentation, oh my goodness, technical PMs. If you go through a boot camp and you have a good understanding of it, but you you walk away from it going, you know what, programming is not for me, even just having a PM with technical knowledge is a, it can be a huge advantage. Yeah. Um, so I'm always here for, there really is no one path or one way to get into this industry. I think that boot camps are great because they really get people like myself. I mean, the way that I ended up finding out about boot camps was I was taking all these beginner programming classes and I got targeted ads for boot camps at that time because I was Facebook. on Facebook. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's it's interesting because I think that we have, and it's so cool to see all of these different new boot camps and apprenticeships pop up for different specialties other than traditional development because I think mm -hmm. people from non-traditional backgrounds have so much to contribute to this industry just by being a voice in the room you know just having diverse yeah. perspective is incredibly important with technology that we build yeah because you know if, if only one type of person is building some sort of tech it's only going to be geared towards that type of person they, they might assume like they understand what um, a woman or, or someone that is like different culture than them wants but it's most likely going to be wrong unless you get their opinion well, the example that I love to give is, you know, if one LGBTQ person had been in the room for the naming meeting on fleets, it wouldn't be called fleets. Like there's so many important. Oh, that. So fleets is a, a terminology in the gay community for a douching emina, or sorry, enema. In, mm. So just having someone yeah. in the room to be like, 
hey, maybe we want to rename this. Who, you know, there's so many situations that I see in this industry where just having one person of color, one woman, one person that didn't come from a single income family home could have resolved a lot of really big marketing issues, you know, uh, even product issues, really. Um, so mm-hmm. I... I think when we talk about diversity a lot, we there tends to be, especially for folks who don't really understand the concept of the importance of diversity, they think, oh, it's a box we need to check. Like, you know, we see a visual with all the rainbow hands. Because if you Google image search diversity, it's just a bunch of pictures of rainbow hands. Like, yeah. what does that mean? And I think what it really means is diversity in thought, diversity in opinion, making sure that your product is inclusive. Because if you have a bunch of white male developers building a product that is for everyone, that's not representative of, I think a great example we're seeing is with um, just vaccine rollout, like knowing mm. accessibility for the elderly, um, making sure that the information is getting to to the people. If the people building the technology are building it for themselves and people like them, how do we account for these edge cases? How do we account for people who don't have cell phones or don't have internet and access to these things? So I think about these things a lot when we talk about diversity and inclusion because it's not about making your panel look better on camera it's it's not it's it's about making sure that there's proper representation not only on stage but in the room where the decisions i always think of hamilton in the room where it happens you need these people in the room where it happens (laughs) no yeah you have to put a conscious a conscious effort towards it it can't just be like all right like like you said checking off a box you have to think about it deeply yeah yeah so so um, while you were, you know, coming into tech and you talking to all these people, is that how how you kind of built up your Twitter from the start, or was that something even before that? Yeah, good question. I was not on Twitter at all before I got into tech. I thought it was a stupid app, and I didn't understand it because as an actress, um, we did most of our kind of self promotion for our, ourselves and our shows that we did through Instagram and Facebook, <laughs> and. Uh, at the time, my, my boyfriend was even working at Twitter, and I was just like, I don't get it. Like, why do people go on this app? Um, but I okay. found a lot of community on there, and I realized, oh, this is where the developer conversations are happening, at least the yeah. community that, that I had found on there. So I really did not have a presence on Twitter until I started tweeting about my experience in, in my boot camp, and mm-hmm. a big reason that I did that was I there wasn't a lot for me to consume at the time. Um, I was very public on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. This is like 2016 on, hey, I'm quitting my job and I'm doing this boot camp and come on this journey with me because what am I doing? <laughs> it's still a little bit in. Yeah. And I think, you know, I also wanted to document this transition for myself. So I was very public. I wasn't doing YouTube videos or anything, but I was, you know, hashtagging Hackbrite a lot and, and hashtagging boot camps and, and, you know, code newbie things. And I think really what uh, happened with Twitter was I wrote this blog post called What It's Like to Be a Woman at a Tech Conference. And it went pretty viral to the point where I think that's kind of what what helped me grow a following on there. Um, But when you say viral, uh, so tell us like what was before and what was what was your follow account after that? Oh, my goodness. Well, it was two different things that happened. One was that article, which I would later find out to this day. People say, oh, someone shared that in my Slack channel back in 2017 or whatever. So I think that 
that helped a lot. But another thing that happened was, and honestly, I, I, I attribute this to a lot of the engagement that I got on Twitter. I was very transparent about my experience mm-hmm. as a very femme identifying woman in tech. And I would, in particular, and I, to this day, I have such regret. I accidentally deleted this pinned tweet years ago, but it was my highest performing tweet ever. Um, it was a picture of me in a very feminine outfit in an empty bathroom. And it was like, hey, women in tech, we have plenty of room. There's no lines for the bathroom. Like, come on over. Because I just started posting pictures of me in bathrooms because I couldn't believe how empty it was. I had the whole bathroom to myself. And I was working in the kind of Docker CICD space at the time and later on ended up working in, um, you know, error reporting, logging and tooling. And it was very it was a lot of men <laughs> that, that and oftentimes yeah. I was getting mistaken for someone's daughter or wife and it was infuriating and I would share those stories and I was I'm very self-deprecating as well and I, I did it, a lot of it through a comedic lens and I think the article that I wrote kind of also had it through a comedic lens but very honest lens so I try to give a very transparent view of what this experience has been like for me and continues to be like for me because it is very different and and I get uh, messages about this a lot, um, you know, kind of thanking me, especially from white men who just, they don't see this. They don't get a lot of harassment online or they don't experience the same kind of situations at a tech event, for example. So I like to educate and and not, uh, I never want to shame anyone necessarily, I, unless I do something really bad, but I think it's important to share these experiences for people entering this industry and, and also for people who don't know what's happening, like these weird microaggressions yeah. and strange things happen to us and it's important to share it. <laughs> yeah, and I get what you're saying, like with uh, like certain people are like, like thanking you because they don't see that themselves. They're like, like, oh, I wouldn't do that, but there are people that will do these things and even those people might not even know they're doing it. But if you make it aware, if you make it in public, then they might help. And I think it's important to share, you know, my lens is my lens, of course. I am a white, yeah woman in tech like I do not have it the worst by any means and I I encourage so many folks from any background like especially because imagine being the only person in the room (laughs) that looks like you I mean it's happened to me a bunch of times but I'm sure that's even a completely different experience of a person of color or a person who doesn't have a degree at all who's completely self-taught and didn't do a boot camp what does that feel like for them so I think it's important to share these experiences, negative and positive, because trust me, I have my share of positive experiences, but it also comes with its fair share of, you know, silent screaming and (laughs) eye rolls and moments that just come with being a very, I've chosen this, of course, for myself, but a public facing feminine identifying person in STEM. It's it's a very different experience. And, and with you being like so open, I, I know I, I, see, I see your tweets and you say like your DMs get crazy or or like people might say some stuff. So like what kind of comes with the Twitter fame? Yeah, um, you know, it's weird because I have gone back and forth a bunch on closing my DMs and opening my DMs. And a big reason behind that is I have met and continue to meet so many amazing people on Twitter. I think that's a big reason why I'm on it is the friendships that I've made and the connections that I've made. And it's a great place to share what I'm doing. And I really, really love it as a platform most of the time. Um, But it also comes with this fair share of criticism. Um, My DMs are constantly filled with feedback, positive and very negative. Uh, 
believe it or not, people seeing a woman on screen, I mean, I think a great example of this is YouTube videos. Um, there's mm -hmm. not a lot of great ways to filter them, especially like, let's say I, I do a video for someone else. Um, I can't really monitor those comments. Um, so there's a lot of things that I think go on behind the scenes that I am excited to see a lot of women sharing and being public about, um, DMs being one of them. Uh, I see a lot of folks kind of sharing that experience, but I think it's important to remember that it is a very vulnerable thing to be mm -hmm. online in general. And that comes with feedback. But when that feedback is about your appearance, you know, inappropriate, not safe for work things, uh, if it's, you know, there are, there's a time and a place for those kind of interactions. Those are dating websites, uh, in my opinion, but it's not even that it can be there. Well, there's a, there's a tweet that I had pinned for a while that said I could literally tweet something like, oh my gosh, I had a burrito for breakfast and it was so good. And I could five seconds later get a comment that's like, actually it was a torta, you know, <laughs> like there's, yeah. there's always someone who's going <laughs> to have an opinion. And, um, but I, but I think the reason that I share a lot of these native and the negative experiences range from everything to creepy DMs, to comments on my blog posts about like, Hey, you should wear better makeup next time. Or like, you know, it, it ranges in so many forms and yes, there's one of those for every 200 other nice things that I hear, right? But it sticks with you. And and it, and it I shouldn't say they're all about appearance. Sometimes it's like, hey, Chloe Condon doesn't belong in tech because she doesn't have a degree and here's a hundred reasons why. Like, it's hard. The internet is an anonymous place. Um, and if I can bring joy to the internet, that's great. But I always think of Thumper from Disney, uh, from Bambi, where it's like, if you don't have something nice to say, don't say anything at all. Yeah. And it's tough. It's tough to be online in general, I think. But being a woman online comes with its interesting. It's almost like doing Tough Mudder. It's like <laughs> you got to kind of combat a lot of weird things in the way. But um, I think it's important to be visible. And, and I try to share other people's stuff as well that, that are experiencing this stuff because it's important to share. <laughs> yeah. And whenever you're authentic, like like I think being authentic is a huge reason why I'm going to following. Like, like you mentioned, like just saying what actually is happening versus some sort of filtered down version. Like anyone that's trying to grow their following has to be very real. But yeah, of course, with that is, oh, you're always gonna have haters. And the more real you are, I feel like the more haters you're gonna get. And sometimes that comes with also just not only educating the community, but educating other women. Um, you know, an, an example that I love to use is I did a thread on why it's important to uh, be careful of your identity. So I, whenever mm -hmm. I post a photo online, I always either blur the background or I post it a lot later. I used to travel a bunch for work, of course. And uh, as a person online, I like to, to share these insights and share these stories of, I speak to other women in STEM who you know, got identified through a reflection in their glasses and someone showed up to their location. Like there's things- what? I know, there's, there's things that we as women online have to think about and experience yeah. and share this information because the only way that you can learn about it is talking about it. And I think that when it comes to things like even just cybersecurity, like making sure that, you know, if, if you are a public person online, making sure that you are 
even if it's showing your key for on accident on a live stream, like how do you deal with that? And because I think we talk about the successes and the wins a lot in technology, but I think it's important to share these whoa, like this was a learning moment experience or hey, be careful of this thing um, because how else are you going to learn if we're not sharing, <laughs> you know? Exactly. And that, that's the beauty also of the internet is like there's so much information and people sharing now. Like, like yes, you boot camps are so good. There's, a, there's structure and everything, but you can learn from people just straight up following them and it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. And that's, I think, been the coolest part even about just being at home for the last year or so is I think my boot camp taught me how to learn a language and how to be resourceful and how to program. But now with that knowledge that I have of how I was able to learn all these new skills, I can apply that to other things, right? So I did not know how to stream until you know, maybe a month or two ago. And it all came from the same things that I did at the bootcamp, dedicating time to learning this new skill, practicing this new skill, iterating on it. So I think there's so much more to be taken from these bootcamps and from these career changes that people do because there's other ways to apply these skills, right? Like you can graduate from a bootcamp be a junior developer for a while and then go into advocacy or go straight into your bootcamp to sales. And I think the more you can figure out what drives you, what your purpose is, and how you can apply that through your boot camp. There's no one path. I wish someone had said that to me. Like, there, you don't have to do it this one way. There's all these different flavors and varieties of technical humans out there. And uh, yeah, you can kind of, you don't have to figure it out. You don't have to have it all figured out at the beginning. <laughs> so how did you get that first job? And like, so can you tell us about whether like the Twitter played into it and also like what kind of job search skills you use to get it oh man so um i i always say that the highs were very very high and the lows were very very low for the job search because <laughs> i think it? when you graduate from a boot camp at least for me it, someone even with a bunch of imposter syndrome the expectation is okay i'm gonna graduate i'm gonna interview Maybe, you know, I'll, I'll get a job from demo night or something. That's the perfect thing that happens. But I, but I was realistic and I knew the average was three to six months usually for a job search post boot camp. Mm -hmm. And um, it was a lot of learning how to interview because if you've never, if anybody's watching who's never interviewed as an engineer before, it's very different than any other interview you've ever done. It's, uh, it's grueling, whiteboarding, five hours long, you know, multiple rounds um so honestly the first three months of interviewing wasn't even necessarily interviewing it was learning how to interview <laughs> like yeah. learning how to whiteboard um totally falling on my face in my first couple whiteboarding interviews and learning from that what i needed to work on because up until that point in my life it was hi i'm a nice person here's my resume um but all of a sudden i was literally having to do this thing that I had never heard of whiteboarding before I became an engineer. It was a whole new thing. So, um, yeah, I've said like yeah. there should be a whole nother interviewing bootcamp. Oh like, my gosh. Yeah. It's, and that's something that I'm very, very transparent with, with people that I mentor who are making the career switch is, Hey, I know, you know, we had this image, um, that I share a lot called the iceberg of success that was in the bathroom at Hackright right. when I went there where the top is, you know, what people see and it's like the accolades, the job, the goals. And the bottom was like the, the rejection, the depression, like all of the negative things that happened. Yeah. And 
honestly, like that's what it was. It was, I cried in the middle of a Whole Foods once when I got my rejection from the LinkedIn apprenticeship program. Like there were moments where I would just stare out the window and think this is never going to happen. I am never going to get a job. This is too hard, um, which is a big reason why I mentor and why I try to create a lot of spaces for boot camp grads, because what helped me a lot was talking to other people. I thought it was just me. I thought I'm the worst boot camp grad ever. This is terrible. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. But once I started talking to other women in my cohort and talking to other people who had gone through the process recently of getting a job, it's hard. It's like, there's a reason why not everybody goes to, you don't just wake up one morning and go, I'm going <laughs> to be a software engineer. Like what you're doing is really, really hard. And I think it's hard to, when you're in that moment, understand that. And for me, yeah. my imposter syndrome was getting in my way so much. Cause I, I wish if I could go back in time in a time machine and just like give Chloe a hug, <laughs> I would say it's okay. Like this is learning. You really have to have a growth mindset when you're interviewing especially as the first time in a technical role as an engineer, because it's unlike anything you've ever done. And I used to tap dance and sing for to get jobs. Like it's harder <laughs> to become an yeah. engineer. <laughs> so would you say the success, the success rate of, you know, auditioning for a role on stage versus in tech, which one's higher? Yeah, great question. So I feel like it's interesting because there's so many factors in an audition that you're that are out of your control, right? You can be mm-hmm. the best singer, dancer, whatever in the room, um, but if they're not looking, if you don't fit the costume, if you're taller than your co-star, there's a lot of things you can't control, right? Um, so I would say, in a way, auditioning prepared me a lot for uh, the rejection that I would face interviewing for these technical roles because as an actress, I was constantly rejected. And it it would be for the craziest reasons, right? Sometimes I would never even know, but later I'd find out it's like, I'm too skinny, I'm too fat. Like I don't, you know, there's so many things that are out of your control. Like maybe you're not dating the producer, who knows? Like it's for arts. So I think what was so interesting about the success rate is you can audition for like a hundred Broadway shows. And if you're not right for any of the parts on Broadway, you're out of luck. But if you're, auditioning or auditioning if you're going out for software engineering roles you can at least get feedback and go okay so i didn't do well in the javascript or architectural design part of that interview mm-hmm. i know for the next one i need to work on that versus starting from square one you know doing a hairspray audition and then going to an aida audition or something like it's two completely different things right so i think in a weird way uh auditioning prepared me for how many doors would slam in my face as an actress. I was used to the rejection, but that being said, it still freaking hurt. <laughs> like I yeah, wanted no, every job I applied to and uh, rejection's hard. Like yeah. famously first job I applied to applied for Fitbit. I wear it every day was re- filtered through their recruiting software in like 10 minutes. Like <laughs> it's hard. It's tough to be a non-traditional background engineer. And you know, that's, that's why I'm so loud and proud about it because it's hard out here for people who it's an industry built for people who have come in here a certain way. And the more that we can open these doors, I mean, the better. <laughs> Amen. You know, you know, I'm with you on that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so how'd you make that, fi- that like final breakthrough from all these, all these uh, interviews and rejection and everything? Gosh, well, I remember hitting some really high highs and low lows. I had gotten pretty far through different 
apprenticeships and junior engineering roles, I'd, I'd gotten to like the final-ish, final, final stage on a lot of these places. So mm -hmm. I think I had at this point, maybe, gosh, maybe like seven or eight different interviews under my belt at this point. And these were everything ranging from mostly junior dev positions. But I think it was really when I pivoted my focus towards uh, developer evangelist roles, which if folks aren't familiar, it goes by uh, this industry developer relations, developer advocacy, um, just basically a, a forward-facing engineering role usually helps out with API um, documentation with uh, all sorts of, it, lots of different ways that advocacy comes into, into play in many different companies. But once I really focused on that, it's back to that gimmick thing, right? Because I remember, like I kept coming back to this, okay, so my technical skills as a junior engineer here, but I've been... Like I'm looking at these job listings and I'm going, okay, like I cross off every single part of the presentation stuff, the, you know, being able to do marketing. I did marketing a bunch of my theater career and degree was in this kind of stuff. And really what changed for me, what really flipped the switch was marketing myself in such a way to these employers that said, hey, I understand you need to level me up on your product. That's easy. You're mm -hmm. going to probably interview a lot of people who are very technical and know your API front and back can, you know, but I'm coming in here with this experience that I, all you have to do is level me up and invest in me and mentor me. Like, that's what I'm asking. And I was transparent about that with a lot of places I interviewed. You know, I said, I'm a junior. I, I wasn't trying to make it seem at all that I was this amazing engineer that like <laughs> was very senior and could like, I was transparent and I said, this is what I wanna do. I, I really feel that I, you know, I can be leveled up and, and upskilled in these technical ways. And I bring this value to the industry take a chance on me and, you know, I'm looking for mentorship. I'm looking for uh, a manager that can, can help me with this career progression. And that really paid off. And I was really lucky to get my first job at a company. It was a small startup, um, CodeFresh. They're, they're wonderful and doing wonderful things now. And it really just takes that first company or person to invest the time and energy. And I always tell people, ask about mentorship, ask about growth opportunities, ask the interview really is two ways because yeah. I knew that I needed to work someplace that that could see the potential in me and help grow that potential. And I, I knew that I needed the mentorship and the guidance and, and sometimes you have to ask for what you need and that's, mm -hmm. yeah, it, it, sometimes it just takes asking. <laughs> yeah. I think p people are usually scared to be honest in the interview just cause like the imposter syndrome, they're like, okay, like, like I need them way more than they need me. But like you said, it's, it's a two way street. If you're going to come in and go into work every single day in this place, make yeah. sure it's a fit and make sure it's a good start to your career where you're going to get that learning to help you transition. And it's a really difficult thing to communicate, especially to new boot camp grads and especially to non-traditional path folks. Cause, oh my gosh, you finish the boot camp and you're like, I'm running out of money. I need a job. Like I will take any yeah. job, like give yeah. me anything. But, and I always iterate on this so much to, to people that I mentor, it is better if you pick up on any negative vibes in the interview. If you think that this place isn't gonna be able to support your career, it is so much better to pass and mm -hmm. wait for the right opportunity than have to do the whole job search all over again, plus the mental health situation of not having proper mentorship or guidance at your first company as a junior. So you have more power than you think. And it's hard to think in those terms, especially when you're just so desperate for that foot in the door. But really, like you, 
it's an interview of the company as much as it is an interview for you. You need to be happy with this role that you're taking and you need to set yourself up for success. Like you will get a job. If you work at it, you will get a job. But what you don't want is to get the wrong job because then you're maybe going to want to leave tech altogether. And we don't want that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think you have, to, you have to trust your gut, honestly. Like people think like oh like they'll try to like kind of go against their their nature and say oh but yeah i need the money oh like this this viable pass but no like your your gut is usually right yeah or even you know for, i i think even my career is an example of that as well where i went to this boot camp thinking okay junior developer junior developer and sometimes I think it takes taking a step back, really identifying what is it that I want to do? Like, what do what do I want out of this job? Maybe you take a technical writer job with the intention of eventually getting to documentation work slash dev route. Who knows what, what that means for you? But mm -hmm. in the same way with college, like, it's so strange to expect all of us at 16, 17, 18 to decide <laughs> what well, we're going to do for the rest of our lives. And I think a boot camp's the same thing, right? Like, you don't know... Yeah, you may start as a junior dev, or maybe you'll start as a devrel like me. But you know, the the job that you have in five years may not even exist yet. And I I think about that a lot because you don't, especially in tech, like that's the beauty of tech, and so different from theater is, as an actress, you're an actress. That's what you do. Maybe you get into like film or television or stage, but with now in the in the field that I work in, I can go into VR or machine learning, like. I feel like the possibilities are really endless with what you can do. And no one really talks to junior devs and bootcamp grads about this. There's not mm -hmm. one path. There's so many paths. <laughs> exactly. So, so to get to get deeper into the cloud advocate side, uh, we, we have Rudy asking, what is a typical day in the life of a senior cloud advocate? How much of your day spent coding versus other responsibilities? Yeah. So this has changed a lot in the pandemic because my job has changed significantly. I used to travel a lot, give a lot of talks, um, but I was also doing a lot of advocacy here in the Bay Area. So that meant um, hosting the events at our Microsoft Reactor spaces, doing workshops, um, hosting different meetups, doing a lot of community engagement stuff. So to answer your question, every day is kind of different, but the cool thing about being stuck at home, maybe the only cool thing about being stuck at home, is it's actually allowed me to connect to a much broader audience. Because it used to be, you know, similar to theater, whoever's in the room, those are the people that you touch with that particular talk or sure, workshop yeah. or whatever you're talking about. But this has been, even in the just last month or so, streaming has been so interesting to me because now, you know, it used to be I would fly to Prague, give a talk in Prague for Ignite, do a meetup or something, and I could I had to physically be there. And now I can stream or I can I have all these videos that are available afterwards that get seen by so many more people. So nowadays, it's actually a little bit more structured in a weird way because I have a somewhat regular streaming schedule. Sometimes, uh, wins, let's see, Wednesdays I have a, a show that I do. So today I have a show called 8-Bits that I do with my coworker, Brandon Minnick, where we interview and talk to people um, with different paths to tech, very similar to this show. Um, I also do different streams at night. I do uh, Thursday nights. I stream with my friend PJ, who is my mentee, and we're building Shania Bot, which is a Shania Twitter bot. Uh, so we share, we do some live coding on there. So I've actually found that I've been coding more, <laughs> being home, stuck at home, because I've been live coding a lot more. I do a lot of lecture streams. So I'm, I work on the uh, cloud advocacy team, but I work in um, on the academic team. So I work with students, university students. I also obviously am very passionate about non-traditional and background students as well. So I do a lot of work around that. Yeah, um, but you see, you'll see me stream in a lot of 
live coding stuff, sharing a lot of stories. So it depends on the day. I mean, today I'm talking to you. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's a lot of... Um, what I love about my job is I get to work with uh, and, and collaborate with a lot of other people who are doing really cool things and share what I learn and share how to achieve that. And I think especially on our academic team, it's it's really fun because I didn't attend university for computer science. So mm -hmm. I get to provide different insight and value that maybe a different cloud advocate can't. And we can highlight and feature these students in different ways. So every day is different, but also, there is a little bit of um, schedule now with streaming, which has just been so much fun. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like fun. Like so, so before you said you went to Prague for one night. Oh no, not for one night. I should say oh. so. I so I used to travel a lot um, for work, but I I right before the pandemic. Um, so this is kind of an example of how it's different to reach different people in different communities now, because mm -hmm. you know it used to be that you could fly somewhere like, and you could it could even be Atlanta or Prague, wherever it is. Yeah. Um, give a talk over the weekend, maybe do a couple meetups, work with the community in that area um, and engage in person. And, you know, it's it's been so interesting because I think about, wow, that was really cool to make. I mean, what a different time, right? We could <laughs> make connections, give business cards, shake hands. Um, and it's so interesting now because when I stream, it'll be so many different types of people. Some people are up late and can't sleep. That's been me a couple of times watching other people's streams. But sometimes it's people who are learning how to code from, you know, Tokyo. Like it can be literally, I think about a lot how my grandma has never seen me in a play, like never got to come to the Bay Area and see me in a show live. But with the ability of what we have with technology and now that everything is streamed out everywhere, she can hop on her computer and watch anything that I'm doing. So I think about these things a lot, not only with, you know, the stuff that I put out there and, and put out for people to consume, but even just the future of the performing arts. Like, it'll be interesting to see, we've seen with Ratatouille the musical, we've seen with all of these kind of interesting ways that we keep uh, content in the performing arts alive. So these are the things that I think about a lot as a developer advocate is, it's my job to create different ways for people to learn and different ways for people to consume content to help learn Azure. But I also think about like, what are other ways that we're not contacting developers. I think streaming is a whole new brave new world for me. And I'm learning a lot from my coworker, Brian Clark, who's been streaming for years and years and years. But there's a bunch of different communities, be it Reddit, Discord. I've chose Twitter, but I'm just so excited that the being stuck at home has forced me to further spread my my comfort zone of communities versus the in-person ones. It's it's very interesting to think about how we've changed all of that now in this new everything online era of life. <laughs> no, it's true. And th that was a great two minutes of advocacy, honestly. So I, I can see, <laughs> I can see you're good at your job. <laughs> well, it's, I think it's, we see, so everyone is different in advocacy, right? Like yeah. I think there's no one good way to do it. I have coworkers who are so good at posting things on Reddit and getting it seen on Reddit. I am a watcher <laughs> on Reddit and I'm, do a lot of Twitter and I have coworkers who mainly view tweets on Twitter, but I think that's what makes, that's what makes the team so great, right? Or any cloud advocacy team great or any advocacy team great for that matter. Because if I, if we have a bunch of people who have the same audience, we're only hitting that audience. So I think when, when I think about these things and I think about, okay, how do I get this on more eyes? How do I get more people seeing this? bringing more people into the conversation is so important because my audience is way different than your audience, Rod. So like, 
anytime that you can build something with someone, when you can collaborate with someone, I you'll rarely see me ever doing something solo because A, it's boring and I like talking to people. <laughs> but B with that. <laughs> it gets it out on on everywhere because you know, you I'm all about just sharing cool people doing cool things. And I that's like at the end of the day, that's my my mission statement in life is to learn a bunch from other people because I would not be here without learning from other people. So I'm like here to share that publicly because I we're all learning as we go, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, no one's an expert at life. Like we're, we're all we're all yeah. doing this for our first time. <laughs> and transparency, I think, is important in that. I think you know you can you can find that a lot in a, in a mentor if you have a mentor to do that one on one. But I think uh, you know being I think it's such a vulnerable act to live code. I'm just now starting to do it. And I'm like, this is terrifying to admit that I don't know how to do Because as an advocate, we're used to doing demos like on stage and being like, and then you do this and bleep, bleep, bloop, and it works. But being vulnerable and coding, like coding this Shania bot thing with, uh, with PJ has been such an interesting, ex it's so fun and exhilarating. And people learn a lot more because they go, oh, how do you solve these problems? Like mm -hmm. what happens when you reach you know a limit with your api or how do you debug and problem solve these things so it's a vulnerable act but i feel like we all it's a very different experience than watching a tutorial because the tutorial is the edited version right. of like okay but wait how did you install that dependency there's so much that can be missed so it's scary but it's an exciting new venture that i am partaking in so if you see me sweating on camera on a stream it's like oh gosh she's nervous she's going to show her subscription keys or something <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, so, so yeah, so, so we're getting close to the top of the hour. I, I always have, have like to close out with a couple of questions. So so the first one is, if you're graduating from bootcamp today, what's your game plan to get a job? Oh, man. So I used to answer this question differently pre-pandemic. And, and I will say my answer to this question used to be, I would go, I would attend a boot camp and then go to all the meetups to get free pizza while I was like learning how to interview. <laughs> Cause back in the day, you could go to a meetup any night of the week in the Bay area, just like get free pizza somewhere. Um, but, uh, I would say, I, I don't think I would change anything that I did. I would say, I would tell myself to be more open to different opportunities and roles that are out there. I wish that I had had more insight into the industry and other paths that were, because I think it's really scary to kind of pigeonhole yourself into something that you're completely new to. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, perfect. And so then uh, the other job is, I mean, the other question is, in your first job, what should you be doing to make sure that you're going to have a successful tech career moving forward? I think mentorship, really just making sure that wherever you take your first job and wherever you decide to start your career, think of it as a career. Because I think a lot of people go into this industry never having had a career before, or maybe it's a completely different industry. And I'll tell you, I mean, I still learn today about how the corporate ladder works and like how to even think of my career as a career. I know so many people who come from being Uber drivers, teachers, actresses, like this is a different way to think about things. So um, yeah, I would say make sure that you're thinking ahead. It's hard to think ahead because you're like, I just want a job. Like, just give me a job, please. But my advice would be to make sure that you take, that your first job is someplace you can see yourself being for at least a year or two to really get your feet wet and make sure that you have a mentor or someone who can commit to the time to 
growing you in that role because it's weird to think about but you have to think ahead <laughs> no that's that's true because people might think short term but you're gonna get asked also in an interview like what's your career goals so like you should be thinking about that like where are you trying to end up and yeah chart that path yeah and your answer to that question can even it doesn't have to be i know i want to be a developer advocate and blah blah, blah. if your answer to this question is I would like to learn as much as I can in this role. And eventually like, you know, I, I really need mentorship and guidance and someone who can help me navigate this new career as someone who comes from blank, be transparent about that because it's the truth. <laughs> like you're not fooling anyone. You're not coming in a fully like educated, you know, there's so much to be said for having the right people managing you, mentoring you, um, being the voice in the room for you. So these are important things to think about that can often kind of go to the sidelines when you're just like, I just need a job. I need money right now. And I've been there, trust me. Yeah. <laughs> but you got to think That's about right. these things. <laughs> yeah. So, so awesome. So thank you so much, Chloe. I, I know you sent me a link tree link so what's link tree for for this yeah so this just is a link to all my different various things everything from twitter instagram twitch um i would say i'm pretty active on twitter but i'm twitch doing a lot of live twitch streams of shania bot um which uh is a fun little azure logic app thing that um i've been building with uh pj on the stream so check that out you can go to aka.ms slash shania booted up to check out more on that but um yeah we're just coding wow it's a shania twain bot that every morning at 9 a.m tweets let's go girls and we're building different features live on stream so come and join us and learn about azure logic apps uh but yeah just really excited to to keep uh spreading the word and thank you for for helping out bootcamp grads and non-traditional background folks because this work is very important <laughs> No, thank you so much. So yeah, for everyone else that's listening, thank you so much for taking your time to listen to our conversation. Hopefully you learned something new. Check out Chloe on Twitter. Definitely a, a great follow. One of the reasons I log on every day. Uh, but otherwise, good night and see you all next week.